The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center of this hour. Two of the biggest questions facing investors right now. Are stocks heading for a correction or a rally? Will earnings deliver or disappoint? Our investment committee debating the answers to both and where your money will work best in the weeks ahead. Joining me for the hour today, Brent Talkington, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall. Market stocks coming off the best week in more than a month. You've got financials, energy, and materials leading today. Dow's good for 180. That's about a half percent. S&P, NASDAQ, the Russell, all in the green. 161 is the yield on the 10-year. All right, Joe, I come to you first. Correction or rally? That's the key question. Is this the key week that decides that? Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to decide which way the market's going to go. But the market's going to rally, and it's going to be a rally because the mega cap equities ultimately uh, are going to resume their upward appreciative path. Just look at the last five days. The S&P's up 2.6%. Why is it higher? It's higher because Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, they're all outperforming the S&P. So uh, I I think we're making a mistake and try of kind of residing ourselves to this binary outcome for the index. The index is going to go where mega cap technology goes. I think what's important to understand is you have coming up now the most compelling earnings season since October of 2018. Scott, I want you to go back for one second and think about October of 2018. Think about PPG Industries. I remember. Think it. about what they talked about. Think about think about the companies thereafter, Caterpillar, Nucor, UTX. What were they all worried about? They were worried about the impact tariffs. from the tariffs. That was the story. This is the same situation in this earnings season. We want to know what are rising input costs from higher oil and what are, is the wage inflation going to be doing to companies' guidance. That, if you can figure that question out and who's going to retain pricing power, then ultimately you'll be able to pick the winners. But this is going to be a stock-picking quarter. All right. Bryn, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little surprised that WTI is over 81 bucks and the stock market is decently in the green today. I'm wondering when that dynamic reverses itself, where we become fixated on higher oil prices, more and longer lasting inflation, and then stocks start to pay a price. Yeah, I mean, I think that higher oil prices are here to stay, mainly because of poor policy errors globally. I mean, you see what's happening in Europe, which to me should be a warning sign for the U.S., that outside of France that went nuclear, the other countries in Europe are really suffering because they don't 
produce their own enough natural gas and oil. And, you know, intermittent energies are just that. They're intermittent. So when the wind stops blowing, that really causes a headache. And so I think that Europe has much more structural issues than the U.S. So in the U.S., we could turn on, we, could, we, we have an abundance of natural gas and oil. And so we just need policies that doesn't choke, continue to choke off those really important critical resources in the U.S. So I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. I do think with the market, though, what's really interesting is that you've seen, you know, this year, the S&P, I think it hit a peak P.E. of 23, that it's quietly been coming down to the current P.E. of the S&P is around 20. And that's really driven by earnings. The E has gotten the E, is, the, the, the e has gotten has gotten better. And so I think that you know, oil aside, you're going to have earnings this quarter. Everyone's going to be looking out for conversations around supply chain, around worker shortage, on margins. And I think this is going to be a really exciting earnings quarter because if you look at something like a FedEx or a Bed Bath and Beyond, I mean, those stocks had their faces ripped off. But I think this will be an exciting opportunity to pick up maybe some individual companies who don't do a great job guiding. But I do think this this time will pass, especially here with U.S. equities. So, Farmer Jim, Joe points out that mega cap tech has been holding up well, um, leading the way, really, keeping the market from having any sort of correction. Apple's a good example of that was, I think, 138 within the last seven days. It's at 144. I mean, Yep. Those stocks don't give you that much of a chance to, to get in. So Joe says we're going to rally and we're going to keep rallying because mega cap tech's going to keep rallying. But I also see the 10 year note yield rallying. Something's got to give, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I, listen, Joe knows I love him, but I completely disagree that this is a large cap tech rally. And Joe, let me fully flesh this out. I know anytime I challenge you, you want to come right back, but let me just fully flesh this out. Where has the leadership been for three weeks? It's been energy, it's been industrials, materials, and financials. And this rally in those sectors has been face-ripping, all right? Look at industrials like Northrop Grumman or Raytheon Technology. Look at any energy stock you want, the financials. I mean, they are just roaring. I will grant you what you said is accurate that, you know, Apple went from 138 to 144, but that's not what's moving the market. I own Apple. I own Google. I own Microsoft. I think they will continue to be at the market performers. Well, let me, but let if me, you want let me just interrupt a second. Let me just interrupt you for a second. It's not necessarily that those stocks are moving the market. They are keeping the market from having a correction, however. It, right? I mean, if, if those stocks start to go down, that's where you get your correction. I don't really care if the other ones you named keep going up. But if you have that's, a sizable move lower in 25% of the S&P, that's what Joe's point is, Scott, I believe. We saw in the, in the first quarter 100%. of this year, we saw the FANG stocks lackluster, right? I mean, we saw Apple, just to use the biggest stock in the world, at 145 after its earnings late in January. Then it went down to 120. The market rallied, okay? Amazon was stuck in the mud during that time period. So it is, it's just a historical fact that in the first quarter of this year, you saw a very nice rally overall while the FANG stocks did not participate. That's just a fact. So I throw out the notion that those stocks go down and the rest of the market has to go down. I'll put it a different way. The FANG stocks, they are whatever they are, 24%. There's another 76% that isn't All the right. FANG well, you're stocks. Assuming, I mean, that math John, just is he's, what it he's, is. He's assuming, as it is Jim, that the, the you know, recovery is on, is on track and that the, the growth isn't going to slow and that all of those companies 
are going to continue to do well and that their stocks are going to continue to go up. I mean, basically, that's his argument. Is, is he going to be right? Um, well, uh, time will tell. Um, I, well, I know I'm, that. I'm concerned, time Scott, always as tells. Yeah. But I want to tell right now. Time always tells. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, here, here's one of the tells, Scott. If you're somebody like a Google or like Microsoft, that uh, other than the Surface, Microsoft doesn't really have to deliver a product uh, that comes in a box. They instead deliver software. Um, same thing with Google. They're delivering something over the Internet. So unless you cut off our access to the Internet, Google should do just fine. And obviously they have. Um, some of the people that deliver boxes and things, one of the issues that Amazon is faced with is they do deliver boxes. And the likes of Apple even, they do have to deliver on the, the new iPads, the watches, as well as the iPhone 13s and all that, Scott. And that's where those bottlenecks that we see all the time on the West Coast and elsewhere are really wrecking havoc. So, you know, if you said, John, okay, two weeks, three weeks from now, as we get into and through parts of earnings seasons, what are we going to see and what headlines should we be watching? I would think it would be, Scott, that the people that actually have to deliver things in boxes, whether it's a little box or a big box, those are the people that are going to be more uh, uh, sanguine uh, and more uh, perhaps even cautious about their guidance going forward. And that's something that could hurt some of those stocks if indeed they say, hey, we just can't get enough of what people want. It's always great to have demand, but if you don't have supply to meet it, that's negative. So um, I'm with Jim as far as um, financials all over them, materials all over them. Um, love those two and energy through the roof. Uh, to Bryn's point, though, uh, I don't think that we can sustain over $100 per barrel crude for very long. I think that starts to impact prices that we all pay, not just at the pump, but for everything that uh, petrochemical products go into, Scott, that will start impacting price. That'll start crimping spending. So, so Farmer Jim, I want to go back to something you said, because I, I want to I debate it. I want to take issue, issue somewhat with it, right? You, you are correct. Those stocks that you mentioned, the cyclical stocks, yes, they went up. The market went up even at the expense of big tech going down. Why was that? Well, that's because there was great feeling about the recovery and that we were on the other side of the worst parts of the virus. Then you had Delta. OK, and then, you know, that crimped the recovery. A lot of those stocks that you mentioned started to not do well. And now we're questioning kind of where we are with rates, with inflation, with the taper. And with growth, Goldman Sachs cuts its growth forecast today, Jan Hatzias did. But you act like none of that matters, that this is just the way it was before, and this is the way it's going to be now. The market's going to be just fine. These are the stocks that are going to continue to go up, and big tech doesn't necessarily matter to the market. I love that we're having a debate. I agree with everything that you led up to your conclusion, but I come to a different conclusion, and here is why. Delta, the Delta variant is the most important thing, and it has clearly peaked here in the U.S. and globally. 
that means two things. That means people are coming out again. And you see that. You see that in the uptick in air travel. I will definitely be listening to Delta's earning call. But you also see it in room rates in Las Vegas, which are up significant double digits, not over last year, but over 2019. I'll grant you that raises a question about inflation, but you don't raise room rates that high unless you have demand. So number one, it gets people out again. Number two, it gets people back to work. So all these things that we're talking about, port congestion, uh, semiconductor shortages, shift work, you know, factories not working at capacity, in part and in large part, that is because people have stayed home because of Delta. And Delta is now waning. That means people get back to work. You're actually seeing over the last two weeks, the number of ships at anchor in the LA Long Beach area is down by about 12%. All right. It's just, you know, it's a start. It's a start. A lot of unclogging left to do. But while you and I see the same uh, premises, we come to a different conclusion. For me, the waning of Delta is critically important. Of course. I, I couldn't agree with you more. But there's a cause and effect of, of if you get on the other side of, of Delta, yes. all of the things that you said mean that the taper moves from pencil to pen and that rates are likely to continue to go up. And you just assume that the market is going to be completely fine with it all is. of that. It is right now. Look at Northrop Grumman. Look at Marathon Petroleum. Look at General Motors. Look at Cleveland Cliffs. Look at Wynn. I mean, just everything right now is rallying, in my look opinion, at- on the conclusion I raised. Okay. Joe, jump in and then Bryn, please. Yeah. So so I, I, I think the difference here between this first reopening, and, and I don't believe in multiple reopenings, but the first reopening was about a reflation effect on stocks. The second reopening, if Jimmy wants to identify this as such, this is more about stagflation, Scott. So Jimmy's pointing out all these stocks. Well, how come small caps are still below their March high? How come Airbnb or Disney or Uber or the airlines that are all reopening stocks, how come they're not ripping towards new highs? I think this time around is a little different. I'm going to give you a real example of what I'm talking about, okay? This weekend, I was in an ice rink in New Jersey. They were charging $25 to watch 15- and 16-year-old kids play hockey. They weren't doing it because it was standing room only and there was overwhelming demand. They were doing it to defer cost, input costs, and wage inflation. That's stagflation, and that's the concern right now. And that's where I said before, the market's going to rally. I'm long financials, Jimmy, but I'm also long the fangs. And it's about finding companies that are going to have pricing power because not all boats are going to rise like they did in Q1 when it was about vaccines and reflation. Bryn. Yeah, I, I saw a couple things here. I think that if you read, you know, Goldman's lowering their you know, GDP estimates and lowering their growth estimates. And so longer term, that would tell you to lean into tech right, as, as growth is slowing. And you also have, you know, debt to GDP at 130 percent and growing, which also is going to slow GDP. So longer term, you want to stay in the queues. You want to stay in those secular growth companies. I do think, though, you know, where, where Jim is correct is right now you do have these reopening or these value trades that really haven't, well, some of them, but to, 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 to Joe's point, like small caps, haven't reflated to their to your all, all-time highs. But I do think you have this, you can rent those names right now and you can do well because I think the market is still trying to figure out how much inflation will we have? How much growth 
will, will be at the expense of energy. But long term, I think you still want to be, you know, in those in those the queues or the, the, the growth stocks because GDP is slowing. But I do think that's as a juxtaposition. Do you still want to own energy and some of these other material names, which I think have long term secular growth growth trends and have done nothing for the last for the last 10 years? So we, we, we come off this hey, crazy. Hold on. We, we come off this crazy volatile week. Right. And we're. You, you go down, it feels like we're having a correction at the beginning part of the week, and then we have this incredible reversal, and we put in the best week for stocks in, in six weeks, and in the Dow's case, since, since June. Jimmy clearly trusts the rally. He trusts the rally. He gives you his points of view to back up the fact that the rally is trustworthy. Let's bring in CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli for the answer to the question. Is the rally to be trusted. Mike, Jim gave you the reasons why it should be. I maybe pointed out some of the reasons why you can be skeptical if you want to play devil's advocate to it. You've been looking at it closer than anybody. What's the story? Well, look, I I don't think it was fully across the board persuasive that we saw the absolute low last Monday for this move in the S&P 500. I doubt anybody would say you could conclusively say that. Uh, It relieved some of the pressure. It bounced in an area where I think makes a lot of sense as sentiment really has reset lower. And, and, you know, we talk too much, I think, about a correction as some absolute decline threshold or a moment in time or some binary thing. Are we going to correct or not? The market has been undergoing a correction, right? Huge parts of the market are way down from early June. uh, Those cyclical parts of the market you have the Nasdaq 100, 5 to 6 percent down. We went down 8 percent. The majority of stocks have been down well more than 10 percent over the course of this move. The S&P 500 wiped away three months worth of gains for a little while last week. So, yes, that's what a correction is. And what's the job of a correction is to reset expectations, to undo some of the overshoots, maybe some stuff that got ahead of itself. And I think to uh, essentially bring the market back into some kind of a balance with the fundamentals. And that's kind of what's been going on here. I think that the reasons you'd say um, that the, that the jury is still out in terms of whether, in fact, you know, last week was the low and it's up and away from here is the seasonal stuff is still very noisy. Um, we didn't see any kind of big climactic flush to the downside. So on the technical count, it doesn't necessarily all line up. You've also seen the market operating very differently. The dip buying instinct has not been as strong. The market has been allowed to kind of wallow below uh, some key levels, whereas earlier in the year people just snapped them right up. But that, to me, is just a different rhythm to this part uh, of the uh, of the rally. Uh, obviously, it'd be unusual. I keep saying it'd be unusual for the peak in the market uh, to have been on September 2nd, the absolute peak meaning. Um, and, you know, when would that be the case? I think if you basically have a hostile Fed perceived to be very rigid as you have slowdown fears. But I actually think the slowdown stuff is more about the third quarter. And we're in the fourth quarter right now. Uh, so we'll see if, uh, if, in fact, we get a reacceleration just as Goldman is bringing down their numbers to still above trend GDP for this year and next year. Well, just as they're bringing down their numbers, Costin you know, the chief equity strategist is not bringing down his numbers. He still has 4,700 on the S&P and he's not backing down. And he says the dip is going to prove to be a good buying opportunity. And Mike, I'm sure you can understand where Jim Labenthal is is coming from. And he makes a lot of credible sense. You know, you get past Delta and you have that boom that people thought was going to happen before Delta reared its ugly head and caused a change of behavior from not only the personal and consumer side, but but the corporate side as well. Okay, so you get a taper. Big deal. There's still a ton of liquidity 
out there. That's not going to change anytime soon. Okay, so rates go up modestly. Big deal. And inflation is going to be temporary. He told you that there are incremental positives that are taking place on that front, too, despite a move over 81 bucks in in oil. Am I making sense? Because I'm trying to channel what Jim Labenthal would say. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think the taper is, I mean, people, almost everybody wants it in train and wants it to occur. Uh, the question is, and we won't know this for a while, is whether a stubborn inflation uh, trend forces the Fed to bring tightening closer than they prefer and make it basically, you know, to, to segue directly into that point uh, and to do it at a time before they think the economy is fully at uh, at full employment. I mean, that's that's always the case, right? That's always the case when you transition into this decelerating mid-cycle phase is worrying if the Fed is going to have its hand forced and uh, and to essentially make uh, some kind of an error or something that does undercut the, the, the pace of things. Look, I, I mean, we talk about oil. Um, we were above $80 oil for the entirety of 2010 to 2014. It was a much more fragile recovery back then. It doesn't mean it's all welcome. It doesn't mean it's all to the good, but it's probably digestible for the economy at this size and consumer uh, wallets being a bit fatter right now. Mr. All-In, did I represent your position accurately, Jim? <laughs> and would you like to get in on, on the conversation? Because I think that's the crux ver- of the argument here. Yeah, no, I think I think you nailed it. And I don't want to sound like I don't see the other side. And and to Joe and Bryn's point, and I think, frankly, you're Scott's as well. Okay, this is different than a year ago. A year ago, we didn't have any vaccines and we went from zero to three overnight. That was huge. I understand we're not getting that again. But but one thing I didn't point out is let's think about the debate we've had in the last 20 minutes. There's, you know, a little bit of hate. I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is. There's a little bit of hate for what I said of reopening 2.0. And frankly, I love coming to that realization. If this is a hated rally, we all know that means it has legs. And Mike, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on yeah. that. And, you know, what I'm saying is this rally in energy stocks, in industrial stocks, in financials, if everybody hates it, or at least a lot of people hate it, that means they're going to have to play catch up. Well, yes. First of all, I would I would say it's reopening 3.0 at least because you did get one last fall. Uh, at least people anticipating it, and then of course back in the in the winter into the spring this year. And and frankly, you know, it, it's sort of in train again right now. Uh, on the on the hating the rally side, uh, I think that there's a decent likelihood of that. As I mentioned, sentiment is definitely soured to a degree that seems a little bit uh, excessive relative to the absolute losses we've had in the market. But we understand why, just because of the big picture issues. Also, when the average stock has been down a lot more than the indexes, and people have been frustrated on the you know with a lot of the whipsaw rotations, I get why uh, there's a little bit of wear and tear on the psychology of the market, and that turns into a tail wind obviously uh, at some point down the road michael i appreciate it as always yep. thanks for joining the conversation that's mike santoli i want to discuss a stock um, with jim labenthal right now because it's having a nice move and it plays into the conversation we're having right now energy financials materials are leading once again they have also been the leadership group for the last month cleveland cliffs jimmy they made a deal today the stock's getting a nice move of five and a half percent you said you actually spoke to the ceo And you've been defending this stock as it has had some turbulence over the last two, three weeks. Yeah, it has had turbulence. There's no question about it. I do think, however, the long-term trend is intact. And, you know, first off, I mean, I have to say this. A lot of people consider this an iron ore company. It is not. It's an integrated steel manufacturer, which means the iron ore it produces goes into the manufacture of steel. 
but it then sells at now very inflated prices. Why is this important? Is because this deal today secures a new source of raw material, namely scrap metal for them. Uh, this is very important because this is where the steel industry is going, is taking scrap metal and using electric arc furnaces to turn it into steel. Um, so they've just secured their, their raw material. We know that steel is at a high price. And yes, it will come down. Folks, it will come down at some point. But right now, these guys are making money hand over fist as their raw materials are in their control, low, and their finished goods products are very high priced. So we're going to get earnings report uh, in a couple of weeks. I will be very interested to see their free cash flow. They're in the process of delevering their balance sheet. This deal may push that out a little bit, but it's a it's a very important strategic deal for them. Yeah, well, the market obviously likes it uh, better than six percent move in shares of Cleveland Cliffs right now. Let's talk about another move that was made today by a committee member. Then we're going to take a break. Roblox, you sold it, Joe. I did. Uh, back in July, I bought it up at seventy nine fifty. Got stopped out. I gave myself uh, my usual three month time period. Out at seven ninety. Uh, took the funds, put it into the RSX, Scott. That's the Russia ETF that gives me exposure to Gazprom and Luke Oil. We'll talk more about oil later, but we certainly have an energy crisis relating to supply. I want exposure to both Gazprom and Luke Oil in that scenario. All right, good stuff. Appreciate you telling us about that. John is going to tell us what unusual activity he has coming up. Plus, we're going to debate some of the biggest analyst calls of the day today. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back. I have a couple of bullish calls on Starbucks today, upgraded to buy at Deutsche and resumed by at Bank of America. I've got a lot of ownership. Joe, you own it. Uh, Jim, you own it. Joe, go first. Oh, I'm staying with it. I think uh, I listened to Jim I couldn't quite hear if you were talking about. Joe, you hear? Yeah. Um, you I'm staying with my position. Yes, I. I know you can hear I, me. I, I can hear you. I know you can hear me. I can hear you, Scott. I know you can hear me, Joe. I can hear you. I don't so- know if Farmer Jim can hear me. That's the question. <laughs> All right. Are we Abbott and Costello or are we Joe and Scott? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? Go ahead, Joe. I'm, sta- yeah, I'm going I'm to stay with the position. I agree with what Jim talked about in the management from Kevin Johnson. Uh, there clearly is a difficult road that has to be navigated related to the slowdown in Chinese and economic growth. That's why the stock has underperformed from July. But I'm expecting to hear some encouraging guidance in that regard from the company I still maintain my position, and I agree with the call. Okay. Um, you got one target of 127, which is 14% up from here. B of A goes to 135. Jimmy, too aggressive on that top-end call or no? No, I, I don't. I don't. Th- I, I, I like the call. I don't think that's a tremendous upside uh, growth level. 
Look, the stock reminds me very much of Nike three or four years ago. And I will admit I missed Nike then, right? I probably sold it in the high 20s as a forward multiple and watched it go to a high 30s as a forward multiple. Well, guess what? Star Starbucks year ahead multiple is about 29. The, the investor sentiment on this, I think, is actually quite good, notwithstanding what I see as a little consolidation phase the past few months. I think investor sentiment is good. And as long as they don't have missteps in execution, I think they will continue to march to higher multiples. On the missteps, you know, you look at Kevin Johnson, and as I've told you, my daughter is a barista there. I'm so proud of her. I see what they're doing from the other side of the counter, and it's amazing. Uh, it, you know, just the experience that they are producing for customers is amazing, and it will continue to be so. The other call I wanted to highlight is SoFi was initiated overweight, you know, in a week in which you're going to get bank earnings and a whole bunch of them uh, mid and later in the week. SoFi gets initiated overweight at Morgan Stanley. The target's 25. They call it the fastest growth story in consumer finance. Joe, you own it. John, you have calls. John, you go first. Yeah, um, I'm a believer in SoFi. I know our friend Kathy Woods is also a believer in this name. Um, And Scott, uh, when you do look at those other names uh, in finance, uh, this one is going to be moving as fast or faster than any of the fast growth ones. And those fast growth names are not J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo and Bank America. Um, it, it's the ones more on the cutting edge. And if you want to, we could even put uh, Robinhood and so forth. But they've got some regulatory hair on them that these guys do not have. So I like SoFi a lot. I don't know if it gets to 25 by the end of next year which is more or less my target. Uh, I think it's a little soon to think that it's going to make this surge over 20 and just blow through to 25. I think it takes it more or less a full year to get there, but lots of good things ahead for this company, Scott. Joe, you, you sticking with this one? Oh, 100%. I mentioned uh, previously when I initiated the position was about waiting for positive momentum. You have that. The stock will now break out towards uh, $20. There's been a lot of strong activity in the debt market uh, where debt investors have been able to take advantage of a lot of the student loan offerings. This is a company that ultimately will get that bank charter, we suspect. Recently, they hired a president for SoFi Bank, which kind of gives a little bit of corporate confidence that it's moving in that direction. So the fundamentals are strong. The technicals are now matching it. This is a stock that goes deep into the 20s. I stay with the position. High of the day, better than 12 percent. Let's get the headlines now with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. And here's our CNBC News update at this hour. In Southern California, some popular beaches have reopened after being shut for more than a week following an oil spill. Huntington Beach's city and state beaches are open now that officials found no detectable levels of oil-related toxins in the water. The reopening has happened far sooner than expected. A Capitol Police officer sending a whistleblower letter to congressional leaders. The letter slams two Capitol Police chiefs for mishandling intelligence surrounding the January 6th riot. And the Boston Marathon taking place successfully today for the first time in 30 months. Large crowds showed up for the pandemic-delayed race. This is the first time in its 125-year history that it was run in the fall. Two Kenyans took top honors. Benson Kipruto won the men's race, and Diana Kipyogi led the women for much of the marathon. And also on the news, COVID vaccine pushback in the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets star point guard Kyrie Irving may not play home games. Other players did get their shots. How we got to this point, that's all coming up tonight at 7 Eastern. 
Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, we'll look forward to that, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Up next, the big ETFs you need to watch today. And as we go to break, take a check on the S&P sectors, led, as we said, by materials and energy. Financials midway of the pack today, and they do kick off earnings this week. Dow's holding on to a gain of 75. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Bassani. It's getting down to decision time on a Bitcoin ETF. Finally, let's talk to a couple of people who have applications in front of the SEC. Jan Van Eck is the CEO of Van Eck, joined by Todd Rosenbluth, Director of ETF and Mutual Fund Research at CFRA. Todd, uh, we don't have a Bitcoin ETF, at least not yet, but we are getting a raft of Bitcoin-related ETFs built around the crypto space, companies that are investing in. We did see Invesco file last week for a two ETFs that own crypto-related companies and even Bitcoin indirectly. How, how is the ETF industry sort of responding to the dearth of a Bitcoin ETF? They seem to be trying to get their arms around it in an indirect way. That's right. An indirect way has been the way the SEC has approved these products. So we've seen, as you mentioned, Invesco launched two products last week, SATO being one of them. We've got Global X with a blockchain-related ETF. We've got Bitwise with an ETF that owns these equities like Coinbase, like MicroStrategy. And, of course, Amplify has the largest of these products. BLOK, Block, is the ticker on this. They're all giving exposure to the companies that are exposed to Bitcoin and the, and the miners and other related blockchain companies. But they can't own that much of Bitcoin directly. Yeah, so... Todd, there's more than a dozen applicants for a Bitcoin ETF. SEC Chair Gary Gensler has signaled his support for a Bitcoin futures ETF, but he seems cold to a pure Bitcoin ETF without some clear regulatory control over the entities. He's complained he doesn't have control over Bitcoin exchanges. How is this going to play out, handicap this for us? Are we going to see a Bitcoin ETF? Are we going to see Bitcoin futures? They're, they're hitting a deadline this month with some of these Bitcoin futures ETFs. They're going to have to give a thumbs up or thumbs down. Right. Or they could actually delay it and punt this further down the road. So we think we're more likely to see a Bitcoin futures ETF first. That's what Gensler, Gensler seems more comfortable in. The SEC is welcome those applications. It's a timing issue. Does it happen in 2021 or does it move to 2022? So all of these products that could meet the deadline, could meet the goals, actually are approved and can launch at the same time instead of getting a first mover advantage. That's something we're watching. Yeah, so Jan Vonek, let me turn to you. You've got an application 
for a Bitcoin ETF and a Bitcoin futures ETF in front of the, the SEC right now. Uh, can you handicap this for us? It seems like they're going to have to rule on a Bitcoin futures ETF. You've got one in front of you. Are you expecting something before the end of the month? Uh, Todd's right. They, they actually can delay the futures, but what, there is one hard deadline, which is for our Bitcoin physical uh, 19 before filing, and the date on that is November 14th. So between uh, right now and November 14th, we'll know uh, what the SEC thinks about physical Bitcoin ETFs, and I'm not sure we'll know before then. But that is a hard deadline. That's our last deadline for our physical uh, physical application. I'm wondering how you get around this problem. They, Gensler, the head of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has, seems to imply that he doesn't want to act without clear regulatory control over the system, but like Bitcoin exchanges, but he doesn't have clear regulatory control. Is it going to take an act of Congress, or is he simply going to have to declare that he has control over certain parts of the crypto universe right now? I'm, I'm confused about how this could, could play out because there doesn't seem to be any action on the regulatory front. I would say that I actually think I'm always glass half full on these things, but I think he achieved de facto regulatory control over Coinbase when he told them to stop doing a lending product a couple of weeks ago, and they actually stopped. And uh, by requiring them to have a broker dealer and a futures license, maybe he's accomplished what he's wanted to, which is which is de facto regulatory control over the so-called crypto exchanges. Yeah, it seems like Congress is pretty distracted right now with a lot of other issues, including the budget and getting through uh, Biden's uh, uh, agenda right now. So I, I think a power grab is probably the likely situation that's going to happen. Thank you very much, Jan and Todd. Much more on the prospects for a Bitcoin ETF coming up on ETF Edge, 1 p.m. Eastern time, plus a record number of ETF launches this year, a record. We'll bring you up to date on a new raft of ESG-related products that have just come out. They keep coming. ETFedge.cnbc.com. 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Halftime back right after this. If you signed up for the CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer, you would have been notified that Cramer's charitable trust bought more shares of Wynn Resorts. They're adding to the position because they think the broad rally in Chinese tech stocks like Alibaba is positive to the overall sentiment around Wynn. There's the move today. It's up nearly 5%. That's the crux of the argument. We're, we, here's what he says. We'll be buying 75 shares of Wynn Resorts at roughly $88.18. So, Jimmy, you see where it's trading now, a couple bucks north of that. It's going to represent a 3.1% of Jim's charitable trust. Have you been adding to it as well? Well, I added to it on the way down. Remember, I bought it at 102. I think that was about a month and a half ago, and I didn't buy it well. I thought that China had been priced out of it, but no, it went down to 80. So I was buying it, as you know, because I announced it on the air from 102 down to 80. Um, I have enough of it right now, and I think where you are right now is this is such a cheap call option on China. I don't think China is more than 10% of enterprise value here. This is basically the value is in the U.S. operations, which we know we're going game. I was there in July. Pete was telling us last week he was there recently. I'd love to know what John says, but basically Las Vegas is packed. If you look at room rates, I said this earlier, okay, fourth quarter published room rates for Wynn Resorts are 65% higher than they were two years ago. Uh, so, you know, the U.S. operations are going great. And if China just doesn't stink, 
you're going to have this really cheap call option on China operations, namely Macau. So I like that. I like that asymmetric risk to the upside on China. Yeah. Let, let me just remind you again, the, the CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. You can join there at CNBC.com forward slash investing club or the QR code right there on the bottom left hand corner of your screen. Point your phone at that and it'll take you right to the site. Doc, what I want to talk to you about is not necessarily casinos and China, but tech mm-hmm. and China. Do, do you think, I mean, partly based on, on Jim's thesis here, do you think the worst is over in a lot of those technology names that have, have been absolutely hammered over the last handful of months? Well, as we all know, they haven't been hammered by uh, their own hand. They've been hammered by uh, the Chinese, the CCP. They have gone after these stocks, in particular those education stocks, with a vengeance, Scott. Um, So we've seen a big rebound out of Alibaba, and they're buying up to the, what, 190 strike in Alibaba. They've been buying calls for the last week or 10 days aggressively. Alibaba, JD, they've also been buying aggressively in here up to the uh, 75 strike. The stock's now 79. A week ago, it was 70 bucks. Um, Didi, uh, aggressive buying in there. This is big institutional buying, Scott. So like I say, I'm not just following um, a Wall Street bets trade, for instance. Nothing. I'm not slamming them. I'm just saying this isn't those size trades. These are big trades, the likes of Baidu and Billy and all of these Chinese stocks. They were just waiting, basically, for the CCP to stop hammering these names. And to Jim's point, both Jim's, um, if they have indeed stopped, then these stocks could see dramatic upside We've been buying them for about the last week or 10 days, Scott. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Decent move lately. We'll see if it's long lasting. Stay with the half. John's going to be back with yes, unusual sir. activity coming up. We'll do it next. All right, Doc, unusual. What do you got today? Well, Scott, uh, we were just talking about Chinese stocks. I've got a Chinese online and offline for transactions in the home sector uh, over in China. It's B-E-K-E, Scott. Um, This one, they're buying uh, calls out in November at the 2250 strike. Uh, These are regular November calls. They bought about 5,000 plus of those. That's half a million share equivalent. Anytime we see big paper like that, in particular in some of these Chinese names that have been just knocked down hard, I love jumping on that. So I joined them in this one, Scott. I'll probably hold these for about a month. Second one um, is in the energy sector. Again, two of our big topics today, Schlumberger, SLB. These are about two weeks out into the future. They're the 22nd of October, 20, uh, let's see, uh, 36 calls with the stock trading at 33.18. We had similar activity in Halliburton, Scott. So Halliburton and Slumber both seeing that unusual call activity to the upside, loved it, joined in there um, and added to a position in Slumberger. I did not have a position in Halliburton, but I put that on as well. All right, good stuff. Good to know, Doc. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, there's your market picture right now. We fizzled a bit from where we came in about 53 minutes ago when we started the show. Dow's just gone negative. S&P looks like it's headed that way, too. And the Nasdaq is not up 
as much as it was before. It's still holding on to a gain of 26. Joe, just doesn't seem to be a lot of conviction on either side. No, there, there's not. Listen, the, the bond market is closed here domestically in the U.S. Yields in Europe pushed higher, so you could expect bond yields higher uh, in the U.S. tomorrow. But, Scott, we have to hear about earnings. And today is an interesting day because you have oil futures up over 2%. I don't think you're, trying, you're getting that return from energy equities. I see the XLE is only up 25 basis points, so it's a little underperformance there. But as the week unfolds, we're going to learn a lot more about the oil and earnings story. It is kind of a misnomer, right, Bryn? You, you figure, okay, oil's going to go up. That automatically means energy stocks are just going to continue to track and track and track. It's not necessarily the case that it's going to continue to work out that way. Right. I mean, you've seen a big dislocation. I think, you know, Joe talked about it a few shows earlier about that consistent dislocation where the XLE will say names are trading at a discount to oil. I think that you just don't have enough ownership in those equities. I mean, the ESG penalty box is real. And so I do think over the next months and quarters, I do think more people will start rethinking the exposure they have to energy in the portfolios and get more natural buyers of the energy names versus just the speculators or hedgers, you know, in the in the oil market. But it definitely exists. I think you could get that price location, you know, collapse on the upside for for energy names. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you get you, you've gotten a nice appreciation. I'm looking at at new highs today. Uh, Marathon Petroleum, um, Farmer Jim. Levels not seen since November of 19. I uh, know that's that's in your book. Yeah, no, uh, listen, I, I like it. And that's obviously a direct oil play. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm more interested in this fizzle here on a day like today. When you see this happen, it really means that you have to pay attention to what happens from about 3.30 on. And I'm not trying to be trite. It's just on a day like today, you could end up massively in the green or you could go down. It's the last half hour of trading that's going to matter. But when you bring up a Marathon Petroleum or I bring up a Raytheon Technologies or a General Motors, the overall bid to these stocks right now is tremendous. So today may, I don't know how today's going to end. It may be a bad day, but the, the trend is clearly higher on these stocks. To me, in the portfolio I run, I don't see a question about whether this is a rally or correction. It's clearly a rally. Yeah. Well, we know you'll be glued to the market zone on closing bell <laughs> for that final and most important half hour of trading. Uh, we will see you then, uh, and certainly we'll see them then, too. Uh, let's do this. We'll take a quick break. Then we'll come back, and we'll do final trades for real next. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. All right, Bryn, final trades, you're first. Uh, URNM, it's a global uranium ETF. Um, really, the cleanest energy out there is is uranium, is, is nuclear. I think as these political conversations discuss, more people are going to realize that. I would buy it here on 78 and then sell the January uh, January call, 90 calls, and you can get around $6 or about 7.5% instant instant dividend. Okay. Let's talk about a move in, in something lately. Um, uranium's been off to the races. Dr. J. Uh, Twinkie Scott, which is hostess, TWNK, 
They're buying November 20 calls. I bought calls and I'll sell upside against it. All right, Mr. All in, Farmer Jim. Uh, Northrop Grumman, you know, take a look at a one year chart of this. It rallied 25% earlier this year, then consolidated. When we talk about consolidation, we talk about coming out. It's coming out right now. All right, Joe T. Microsoft will very quickly restore its price above $300. All right. Good to see everybody. Thanks for watching. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.